0: Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40-minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Vintage Faith. Yes, we acknowledge um, we acknowledge the Lord God for His design of the family and the function of motherhood. So yes, Happy Mother's Day. We are in our second week, I think, of looking at the book of 1 Peter. So our scripture is 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 to 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Happy Mother's Day.
1: We have some, some good weather, it appears, for the moms, so I, I pray and hope you can enjoy your, your day. Um, a few announcements before we get ready and uh, going for the sermon. The annual business meeting um, is the 23rd of May. Uh, next week, we're going to post the budget, uh, and then the week after that, it's going to be the meeting. It'll be after service, after worship on the 23rd. So that, that is, um, you're welcome to come if you're not a member, but only members can, can vote in that meeting. Um, so, we'd, we'd love to have you there if, if you're interested. Women's Adoration uh, Night tomorrow, Monday, 6 p.m. That's just the women gathering, studying the Bible together, fellowshipping together. Um, that'll be Monday at 6 p.m. And just in, in a few weeks, you're going to start to see the coffee cart back up and running. Um, and what we're going to do is just do it before service. So, when you come in here, you can drink your coffee and it's not going to be running after. Trying to figure out the COVID thing and the masks. Not everything makes sense. I know there's a lot of different opinions across the spectrum. Just bear with us. Uh, I don't think this thing has made sense from the beginning. Um, so we're just trying to do our best to navigate it um, as a body, as a church, and respect um, each other. All right. Let's let's. Lord God in heaven. As a church, we come to you this morning in need of of hope. We confess, Lord, that we're a people who continually put our hope in things that perish, fade, and spoil. We confess that our hearts and minds continually look to and trust in created things rather than you, our great creator and redeemer. Forgive us, Lord, because many times we are bored with your word and the things above. Forgive us, Lord, because we are a people who trust more in what we can see than what we know you have promised. Forgive us, Lord, we are a people prone to live by sight and not by faith. Lord this morning we just we pray as a church that you direct our gaze towards you and towards the promises that you have made to your people. Help us to see those for what they are in maybe a way that we haven't awaken our hearts and our minds to the promises that you have promised. Lord there's many in here that are weary and burdened and need rest. There's many mothers in here that are weary and burdened, and need rest. We pray for those. There's many in here who mourn and long for your comfort. Comfort those who need it, Lord. There's people in here that feel worthless and wonder if you care. Show them that you care, Lord. Lord, we sin and we need a Savior, Help us to open our doors wide here at this church to welcome all those who are weary and burdened to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit, and we pray this in your name, amen. So I would ask you, when you think about the word hope, what comes to your mind There's a a cultural idea of hope and and, and that is more like, hey, I I hope I make the baseball team or I hope I get that job that I interviewed for. But the biblical idea of hope is is much different. The biblical idea of hope is assurance of of what God has said and a knowing that it will come to pass. But many times our hearts we we know what God has promised, but but our hearts just they they go in other directions. They want things that we can see. And I would ask you this morning, what do you hope in? Functionally, what do you hope in? What gets you through the day? What gets you out of bed? Tim Keller says that we are unavoidably. Irreducibly hope-based creatures. We we live on hope. By the way, there's not going to be any anything on the screen this morning. That's my fault. I usually come with a with a pen drive, and, and I that is sitting on my desk at home this morning. So we are going old school, analog, organic. Um, so if you do have a Bible, we're going to be in one Peter one three to five. So we're gonna we're gonna be there. I'll hop around a bit, but. Uh, I'll give you some time, and if you have your Bible on your phone, feel free to use it. But we, we, we're hope-based creatures. Think about it. Like, I just heard one of my children this morning say, I can't wait for vacation this summer. And there's nothing wrong with wanting vacation or wanting something good. We, we want to do these things, but a lot of times those things can end up fueling us and driving us. And they can end up being the things that get us out of bed in the morning. And those things can all be taken from us. Andrew Delbanco, he he wrote a book called The Real American Dream. And it's a meditation on hope. And he talks about how hope is just, it's not only an individual thing. Whole cultures, whole um, just People groups have hopes, is a a people group. He says, the heart of any culture is its hope. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all of our getting and all of our spending amounts to fidgeting while we wait for death. We must imagine some end to life that transcends our own tiny allotment of days. Every human being has hope. The question is, what is the object of that hope? What is the object of that hope? All right. We're in 1 Peter to give you a little background on um, what's going on here? The Christians that Peter is writing to are being marginalized. They're, they're losing jobs. They're being mocked for being Christians. They're holding to a different set of standards than the world around them, different morals. And the world around them is starting to look at them and say, you guys are weird. And not only are you guys weird, you guys are disrupting the culture that, that we live in. They weren't being murdered or or killed for their faith yet. They were just being looked at as different than their pagan neighbors. And that's why Peter starts off this letter. He says, you guys are chosen, you're elect exiles. You're strangers. You're strangers in this world. And he's going to continue this idea throughout the whole letter. He'll come back to it. He's going to revisit it. He's writing to encourage them. To encourage them that, hey, you have so much more. Yes, you're being mocked and you're being treated unfairly in the world around you, but what you have in your faith in God is so much more than what you are losing. And this is pertinent to our day, isn't it? We're we're in a place right now. We're being a Christian. There is no cultural cool or cultural um, currency for being a Christian, especially if you're a Christian that holds to the teaching of the Bible on some of the hot-button issues, we can be seen as dangerous to the world around us. That's not much different than what's happening here in this letter that Peter is writing. So Peter, today the text, uh, 1 Peter 1, Three, the first part of three, Peter starts. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today's verse, Peter starts with worship. He's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying it with emotion. We've said this many times here, and this is something that I believe we really got to claim as Christians, we want to be Christians that have thinking hearts and feeling minds. And all that means is we, when we read our Bible, we're not just reading it to puff up and get knowledge, we're reading it to worship. And that's what Peter's doing right here. He's gonna, he, he starts, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of what we're going to do today, he's going to unpack why he's so happy. And many of us in our backgrounds, we've grown up where we read some of this language from Peter and Paul and David and Moses, and and we can read it wooden, kind of like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have heard the Bible read like that? You may have read it like that. I've read it like that. But that's not the reality. The reality of what Peter's saying is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's about to tell you why. He's happy, he's exuberant, he's bursting with praise. When you read these doxologies in Scripture, um, try to, to change your mind in thinking from this blessed, like kind of wooden language that we've all grown up with to joy. This is what the, these, these things are, joy. They're bursting with joy and worship. So Peter is writing to the Christians who are on the margins of society, they're being reviled, they're being accused, and he is about to show them why they should worship. And I would just ask you have you felt like that as, as a believer? Have you felt different than friends and co workers? Have you been in situations where people are mocking the Christianity or mocking something within Christianity, and you're just like, oh. I'm going to say anything. I don't want to go here. I don't want to go here. Have have you been there? If you have, Peter is writing to you. He's writing to you to encourage you. Why is Peter bursting forth with praise? Well, let's continue his, his thinking. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here's the first reason. Peter is bursting with praise because God's great mercy has caused Christians to be born again, to have new life and have a living hope in Jesus. And we know it is sure because Jesus was raised from the dead. We know it is sure. It all starts with God's great mercy. All of it starts with God's great mercy. Always starts with God's great mercy. This is different than every other religion out there. Every other religion is going to say, okay, do these things, take these steps, move in this direction, climb, work your way up to God or to whatever they call God. But the God of the Bible is a God who chases and saves. Edmund Clowney says this, When most people think about religion, they think about man's quest for God. When in reality, religion provides an escape from God. Religion allows man to be screened off by laws and ordinances so the self-righteous can earn heaven on points. God can be dissolved into the yin and the yang so we can no longer be accountable to him personally, or he may be reduced to a God who is in everything, like New Age spirituality, but the God of the Bible is the God who seeks men and women. The God who takes initiative. If you are in here and you know Christ, He sought you out of His mercy. The Bible actually says that you were running from Him. We were all running from Him. We didn't want Him. And even in our being enemies with Him, God seeks us, grabs us, and lifts us up and says, You're mine, you're His. This is the God of mercy that we see in the Bible. So this language that Peter's using, think about this for a minute. Let, when, when we read our Bibles and we're, we're reading a whole story, there's a, there's a narrative here. Again, we're reading Peter's letter. Peter spent time with Christ, a lot of time with Jesus. And think back to some of Jesus' teachings You're going to see this as I study 1 Peter all throughout this letter. You're going to see Peter using language right from the Gospels, right from the lips of Jesus. Um, But let's go to John 3, 3 to 8. Jesus is having that discussion with Nicodemus. Jesus answers Nicodemus after he tells him, hey, you need to be born again. If you're ever going to see the kingdom, you need to be born again. Rebirth. And Nicodemus is like, I don't get that. I don't understand that. And Jesus answers Nicodemus (laughs) and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, of the Spirit. So Peter's just using Jesus' language. He was taught by Jesus, and he's saying, "Bless be those who have been born again, according to God's mercy. God has caused us to be born again." And think about this language for a moment. You have birth. Many of you, there's new babies here. There's new babies coming here. There's new babies everywhere. So you've got birth, life, new life, to a living hope. Again, life. We're born again to a living hope. And how? Through the resurrection of the dead. Again, life. So you've got three ideas here. You're born again to a living hope, to a resurrection. This passage is bursting with, with life in the midst of a world that is dying. Many of you in here, you know that there was a point in your walk and your faith where you may have been disinterested in, in the things of God, and then all of a sudden, you have an interest. Like, you want to read his word, you, you want to read, be in the, in the Bible, you want to be in church, you want to be around God's people. And you may have even mocked it before. You may have thought it was ridiculous before. You may have thought it was old and, and just antiquated, traditional, whatever. But all of a sudden, some at some point in your life, you're, you're awakened. You can read the Bible and you're like, whoa, I, I never saw that before. Wow. This is being born again. Jesus says no one can see the kingdom unless you've been born again. Again, at one point, uh, Amy and I had been reading the Bible for for a while, and uh, we were we were going to some Bible studies and kind of just working through um, worldview and just thinking thinking through, okay, well, if this is true, then this means this, if this is true, and you're kind of working through it, and we were at a Coming home from a Bible study, and we both, we talk about it all the time, we can remember it as clear as day. We're yapping to each other about God, Jesus, Bible, just going, you know, like, and then all of a sudden, at the same moment, we both had this realization, like, are we some of those born-again people? Like, what's happened to us? Because we knew at that point, we're like, we're, I had no interest. I, I've told you before, I used to mock Christians that I worked with. I thought they were silly, intellectually just ridiculous. I didn't come to that this on my own. I'm not sitting here preaching because I decided that this was a good argument. No, God showed me. I was born again. He He showed me um, truth that I didn't see before. Amen. And we were, we're born again to a hope. So Peter is not, you know, we're not just born again to, 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 to just blow in the wind. We're born again to a living hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes everything. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says this of Jesus and his resurrection. He's the pioneer of life. Jesus is. He's the pioneer of life. He's forced open a door that's been locked since the death of the first man. Think about that for a minute. The resurrection of Jesus has forced open a door that has been locked. And that door one day is going to come bursting forth with all God's children. In resurrection. He's beaten. He's fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. Everything is different. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And guess what? As Christians, we can sometimes be like, okay, tell me something else right? We can. I I can. We all can. Okay, I know about the resurrection. Come on, tell me something else, Pastor. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is our living hope. And it's not just he is resurrected. Because he is resurrected, we will be resurrected. And we're going to get to this in a minute about our our inheritance as as believers. When I was in college, I, I went down this really intense, uh, I guess I would call it a, a, a rabbit hole of uh, just reading um, New Age spirituality, New Age stuff, and and uh, some of that stuff mixes in with, with biblical truth, and, and it gets really, really, really dangerous, to be honest. And And I was there, and I was reading a lot of it, and at one point I don't remember who I was reading, but it was one of the books that I was reading and they were talking about this circle of life idea that, that when you die, um, you know, you go into the ground, your, your body decomposes, you become earth and, and, and it's just a circle, a circle of life. And I remember thinking, that's, that's pretty cool, I get that, yeah, right? Like that's a decent philosophy, I see things decaying and they go into the ground, I see things growing, okay, that, that seems to make sense. Makes a lot of sense can be a theory until you have people that you love that you lose. Until you have people that are in your life that you don't want to lose. That made a lot of sense to me as a college kid in my 20s who didn't seem to care about anything. Oh, yeah, this is cool. But when you start caring and you have people that you love and people that you lose, there's no hope in this. It's hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless. And guess what? This is what most of the world around us believes. In some way, shape, or form, this is what most of the world around us believes. But God's mercy causes new birth. We're born again to this living hope, this resurrection hope. It's amazing. In the last 20 years and in, in the Christianity, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of books written um, that have taken what we're going to talk about in a minute, this, this idea of, a, of an inheritance, eternal life, and they've taken it and they've kind of just done this move where it's like, well, it's, you can have it now. And that sounds great, it sounds great. that Hey, we can have our inheritance from God now. We can have total victory now. I'll read you a quote from, from one of the books. If you develop an image of victory, success, health, abundance, joy, peace, and happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold these things from you. Okay? That's partly true, actually. We'll, we'll talk about that, but it's mostly not true. Contrast it with 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There is no promise of success for the Christian. But there is a promise of joy in trials. We do have that. We can go through trials and have joy and have hope. But the self-help gurus and some of this, this strange Christian teaching, is con- it's merged and it's created this idea of, hey, You know what, that inheritance that's coming, that one day that that should fuel us and give us hope every day, that inheritance, you can have it now, it's actually here right now. And that's destructive. It's not here right now. We can taste it now. We are fueled with it now, but we don't have it. If this is it, Paul says we're people most to be pitied if this is it, this life. Again, C.S. Lewis talks about this idea. And he says, "When they want to convince you that Earth is your home, notice how they set about it. They begin to, by trying to persuade you that the Earth can be made into heaven. Next, they tell you that it's the fortune, this fortunate event. It's a good way off in the future, but we're moving there. Think about that for a moment. It's the carrot idea. like, OK, just keep working towards this and work towards it claim this, you're going to have it, but it's out there, you're not going to quite reach it, it's out there, just keep working, keep moving towards it. And you have this, again, this idea is in Scripture, and the writer in the book of Hebrews, he says, when he talks about Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and David, he says, who through faith they conquered kingdoms. Through faith, right? This is good. We can conquer kingdoms through faith. They enforced justice, obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of the fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of their weakness. They became mighty in war, and they put foreign armies to flight. Think about that, right? We all want that Christianity. I want that. I want that. I want to put foreign armies to flight and stop the mouths of lions. But if you keep reading the passage, some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. There's our resurrection hope. Others suffered mocking, and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in the dens of caves of the earth. So in our Christian walk, when we think about that, some of us are going to conquer and we're going to have great success. And God will be behind that. It won't be us. That will be God. And other of us are going to have pain. And hurt. And we'll be afflicted. And we'll be mistreated. And God's behind that too. He's behind both. He's a sovereign, providential God. Some conquer kingdoms, some put foreign armies to flight. The inheritance is not now. If if you're a note taker and you're that that's it. That's the, the the inheritance is not now. If I can get anything across to, to, to all of us, we have tasted and we have seen, we know we have the Holy Spirit. We know this is true. We can see it. We've been born again. We have hope. But that hope is future. Here, here, here in First Peter 1, 4 to 5, let me show you. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. In the last time. That might throw some of you off. What do you mean salvation ready to be revealed? I've always heard I have salvation now. And you do. Everything we put our hope in, in this life, either perishes, becomes defiled by sin, or fades by time what is it that you think if i didn't have this in my life life would not be worth living or what is it in your life that you are just it, it it's propelling you like this is it's getting you out of bed in the morning it's moving you like i got to have this and one day i'm going to get it and everyone in here has known the feeling of getting that thing and having it fade right just fades you, you might have excitement for a while. I, I think of buying a house at this point in my life. I've bought two houses. There's an, an intense excitement when you buy a new house. Before you buy it, you start thinking of your life. You think of your kids. Oh, look at the backyard. We're going to play catch there. You've got all these things. It gets really emotional. It starts pulling on uh, tugging on the heart. This is why like we can do some crazy things when you think you're going to get a house and then Something happens and you're like, "Ah, oh, I'll pay more, I'll pay more, let's do it, just get it. But anyone in here that's bought a house knows that that fades really quick. It fades really quick. You buy a new car. It's great. It's great for a bit. Sooner or later, you spill coffee in it. I just did that this morning. <laughs> My whole cup of coffee just all over in a brand new car. Everything we put our hope in in this life spoils or fades. It could be a spouse. It could be your kids. It could be a job. It spoils or fades. It can be taken from us. Anything that can be taken of us is not worthy of our hope. There is an inheritance that's coming, and Peter is talking about it. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's in heaven, and it's waiting. It's waiting for us. It's not here. It's not here. And you might be thinking, yeah, but but, but if I just end. Okay, Anthony, you're talking about the resurrection. We all, we're Christians. Of course we know about the resurrection. And what I'm trying to, to, to get, and I have to do this in my own mind and heart, is no. But I'm being, I'm not thinking about it right. This is amazing. This is an amazing inheritance coming for all of us. Peter is bursting with praise as he's talking about this. If we ever need to see in the Bible a case study for why getting stuff and accomplishing things and, and whatever it is that I, that I know you're, you're wrestling with, we're all wrestling with different things, we have different hopes. But if we ever need to see that that doesn't all satisfy. All we need to do is look at Solomon or whoever wrote Ecclesiastes. I I think it's Solomon. Um, But this guy had everything. He had it all. Actually, the the greatest king in the history of Israel, he had everything. He had money. He had success. He built stuff. He He was in charge of armies. All the nations around him were coming to see him and just say, look at this guy. He was, he was it. He had a claim. He had all of it. And he says in, in Ecclesiastes 2 9 to 11 So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. He got anything he wanted. None of us can really say that, that we get everything we want. Solomon said, Whatever my eyes desired, I kept nothing from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, it was all vanity, meaningless, nothing. And a striving after the wind. There's nothing to be gained under the sun. This is Solomon. And he's not talking about, like, hey, we shouldn't work and we shouldn't do this. He's just saying he put his hope in these things. He did it all. He was searching for the meaning of life. He was searching for where do I put this thing that's in my heart that needs to rest on something. This thing is in our heart. We're hope-based creatures. We need to hope. We're designed that way by God. And we just, we, we put it everywhere. And Solomon's saying, I did it and it's worth, it, it's meaningless. Meaningless. I mean, this is, I've shared this quote, I, I don't have it today, but the, the Tom Brady quote that, that we've talked about is, is a church, where after his third Super Bowl ring, he's like, this can't be it. Right? Now he's got, I don't know, six, seven, nine, who knows. But after three, he was being interviewed, and he's like, this can't be the meaning to life. There's got to be something more. He said that to the interviewer. This can't be it. It's a Super Bowl ring. Three, quarterback. There's only one hope that can satisfy, and this is the hope that Peter is talking about. Every one of us is aware that now is not it. That's why I I don't want you listening and and feeding from some of these these self-help guru preachers because they're trying to tell you now is it. And it's only going to enslave you. It's only going to enslave you. Now is not it. The inheritance is to come. Now, for sure, we can live godly, good lives, wise, and have beauty. But that's not it. That's not it. And we can live foolish lives and and have a train wreck behind us. So we're not saying, like, hey, let, let everything go. You can live a godly life. You can be blessed in that life. You can live wise with hope. But that's not it. That's not the inheritance. The Bible does talk a little bit about what that inheritance is. But there's a great mystery still as to what the inheritance is. Jesus says in John, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. So, We know this. There's rooms. There's a Father's house. Maybe that's metaphorical. Maybe it's not. We know Jesus is going to be there. We know he's preparing it right now. There is a lot about the afterlife that that we don't know. But what we do know It's just like in the Garden of Eden, God will walk again with his people face to face. We know that we will have resurrected bodies. Know Many of you are in here and your, your bodies ache. You hurt. That's temporary. We'll have resurrected bodies. We know that death will be swallowed up whole by life we know that all the sin sickness worry anxiety that you experience today will be gone we know that we will for the first time ever in our lives experience unmixed pleasure and joy A true joy that is not, like the first quote that we read, have a lurking shadow of something going wrong behind it. True joy. That's coming for us. We know that the city of Jerusalem will be somehow front and center in the new heavens and the new earth. We know that there'll be feasting. And and merriment, and joy, and think about that, our best Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, our best that we've ever had is a shadow of what's coming. And Peter says, this inheritance, it's imperishable. It's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven. For you. It's kept. It's not going anywhere. It's there. And he goes on to say, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So you're being kept. God is actually keeping the inheritance. Nothing's going to get to it. And he's keeping you. Nothing's going to get to you. He's keeping both. For that salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. You've been saved if you know Christ. You're being saved if you know Christ. And there's a salvation coming. Full. You don't have that yet. We hope in that. Peter is writing to these Christians because there's trials to come. He knows there's trials to come. And he wants them hoping in something beyond this life. Because many of them are going to experience some very hard things for the faith. Where is your hope? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the inheritance that is to come. Lord, we've been born into your family, and with that comes an inheritance. I pray that you wake up our our hearts and our minds to this truth in Scripture. Maybe where some of us have uh, kind of brushed it off as just a dusty old doctrine and a not something that they meditate on, help us to to really meditate on this truth. When things get dark, help us to go here. When things are great, help us to rejoice in it. Lord, we do confess that we are so easily distracted by the pleasures and hopes of this world. Even though we are let down time and time again by them, we still go back to them. So lead us and teach us, Lord. In your name, amen. amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.